The reading's taken from Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 to 20, um, page 1111 in your Bibles. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great. Sophie, thank you. I'm going to stand here, I think, this morning. Oops. I'd love you to keep that open, page 1111. As we hear God uh, teach us from his word as we continue this um, series, Living on Purpose. And today I want to look at the key to it all, this one command in verse 18 of the passage we just had read. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's uh, just pause for a moment. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds to receive from God this morning, to, to feed on His Word and be instructed and shaped by His Word, that a, a hunger and a desire might rise up within us, that we would long to walk into this command to be filled, to go on being filled with his love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the fruit of his spirit, the life of his spirit, the power of his spirit. Father, we choose right now to put aside all other distractions. Um, The week that we've just had, the week that we are anticipating just ahead, uh, that email or phone call or that this or that or the other. Lord, we, we discipline ourselves now to put it to one side, to create space now in these next few minutes to receive from you. We pray, Spirit, break out. Break our walls down. That heaven might touch earth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, hopefully, have you got this uh, second white A5 sheet, which is a sort of route map for the, this morning? Um, I'm sorry, I'm not quite as high-tech as my uh, illustrious curate who has all these wonderful images. Actually, my, it's my PowerPoint doesn't quite talk so easily to our PowerPoint there. And we, again, we're looking to rectify that. So um, we've got these. But hopefully the idea is maybe if you've got a pen or pencil, you can sort of scribble down one or two notes, things you you disagree with or you want to question or you want to explore a bit further. And the idea is that we can take that up in our house groups. It it goes without saying, if you're you're not part of a house group, get involved. Uh, Come and see me uh, uh, or Will when he's here. And we'd love to sort of see if we can place you in a house group so that the teaching that's presented on a Sunday can kind of really take root as we work it amongst uh, smaller groups midweek. 
I want to talk, as you can see, about the context of this command in verse 18, the content to look at what it actually means, unpack it, uh, the characteristics of what it is to be filled with the Spirit, and uh, how do we carry that out in our lives. So the context, the content, the characteristics or the consequences of being filled with the Spirit, and uh, how we carry it out in our lives. First of all, the context. And the context is this, and this, this teaching series that we've been looking at is, has been looking at the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The first half, all the verbs in chapters 1 to 3, none of them are in the imperative. There are no commands, no sort of orders, if you like, in the first half. It's all in the indicative. It basically, Paul is describing who the Christians are. This is who you are in Christ. This is who you are now that you're in relationship with him. This is what it looks like. But in chapters 4 to the end, the letter is littered with indicatives. There are all sorts of commands to do this and to do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's in the imperative mood. And we're looking at just one command today. Be filled with the Spirit. And the context in the city of Ephesus is this. That Ephesus, the city, nestled in the foot of quite a significant hill. It's quite a sort of... Not, not quite a mountain, but it was quite a significant hill. And perched on top of the hill was the most impressive temple built to the goddess Diana. Not a Christian uh, temple, not a Christian place of worship. But whenever worship took place in there, it was a huge place which employed hundreds and thousands of priests, priestesses, and, and uh, worship leaders, if you like, in a cultic, sort of drunken, orgiastic festival. It was, it was revelry, basically. It's why you get these undercurrents in Paul's letter to sexual immorality, to impurity, and how the Christian temple is to be different from that. But Paul would have been very aware that um, the kind of religious atmosphere in, Ephesians, uh, sorry, in Ephesus was dominated by this, by this huge temple overlooking the town. So that's the wider context. The, the more particular context in the letter itself are these different contrasts that Paul is wanting to draw. He's wanting to say, for example, if you look, just look back at uh, the passage we've had the last two weeks. Chapter 4, verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And he goes on to describe their thinking. But verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him. They live like this, but you're to live like this. Therefore, put off the old way of living and thinking and put on the new way of living and thinking. All these contrasts, we've had earlier ones as well. You once were dead in your sins, but now you're alive in Christ. You once were living in darkness, but now you live in light. If you were to put on a pair of spectacles labeled contrast and read the whole letter from beginning to end, that the spectacles of contrast will enable you to see these contrasts that Paul is draw, uh, laying out over and over again. And I think the contrasts come to a climax in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish, 
but be wise and understanding. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's kind of climaxing his teaching with these contrasts. Don't do this, do that. Don't do this, do that. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just on the contrast, and I've put this on the sheet, I think the contrast is to be drawn in the source of the experience, not the nature of the experience. The contrast is in the source of the experience, not the nature of the experience. Indeed, I think Paul anticipates something of a similarity in the nature of the experience, just as it would have been obvious that there was something amazing, wild and life-filled going on in that temple, on that hill up there, when they conducted their services of worship to the goddess Diana. So Paul is anticipating that there would be something life-changing and dynamic and obvious when Christians worship the one true living God who created the whole universe. There will be something of an ecstatic expression. There will be something of an overflow of life. It will be obvious. But that life, that exuberance, that, if you like, that intoxication is not due to drunkenness, but due to the Spirit. That's the contrast. It's in the source, not in the effect, I want to suggest. Do you remember in Acts, just as a little aside, when, when, people, when the Spirit first fell on the early apostles, some of the crowd, seeing the Spirit filling the early apostles in such an obvious way, said, oh, they're drunk. That they made a confusion. But why did they make the confusion? Because, well, it, it, they look so similar. A load of people in, in, in sort of boisterous, drunken mood, and a load of people filled the Spirit. And some people thought they, they confused them. Would that it marked the church today? Hungover, perhaps, is sometimes a little bit more. What marks us when we come together, there ought to be. We ought to anticipate and expect joy and an effervescence. It's almost as if... Paul is saying, be intoxicated, but not with wine that debases and actually acts as a depressant, alcohol. It's a depressant. It, it debases, it reduces, and, and eventually, you know, your head, you kind of know the consequences afterwards. Not so good. No. Be intoxicated with God. That he fills every aspect of your being that just goes on, increasing in the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God's life. Paul is saying, be intoxicated with that. So that, so that the shadow worship in that temple up there is revealed for what it is, just a shadow, compared to the light in each of the worshippers' believers' lives as we are filled with him. The context of the command. Secondly, the content of the command, to be filled with the Spirit. First of all, I'd love you to note in the second half of verse 18 that Paul is commanding the Ephesians here to be filled with the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Paul is not advocating here a sort of a little feel-good shot in the arm. It's not a sort of emotional high. It goes deeper than that. Deeper than our emotions, it, it's the very spirit of our being. That our spirit would 
be filled by the Holy Spirit of God. It may be the definite article that sometimes throws us the Spirit, and we think always, I'm being sort of, Paul's talking about being taken over by some kind of impersonal force. And maybe it's because um, this sort of title, the Holy Spirit, with the definite article, it, you know, it, it makes it sound like an object rather than um, us talking about a person. But if I, if I was to talk about the Prime Minister or the Queen, you know immediately that as I refer to the title, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to picture a person. Same with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with God himself. Well, what's that like? Well, we just need to reflect on what God has done in terms of taking the initiative to demonstrate his love to us as we're leading up to Advent, Advent of preparation for Christmas. And God, so vulnerable, has come to us in the form of a tiny baby to live amongst us that we might get to know him. For the first 30 years of his life, we know so little about him because he was just getting to know us, being familiar with us, allowing us to be familiar with him in order that ultimately we might see his glory through his death and resurrection and ascension so that the pouring out of his spirit might enable us to live a new life with him. It's not some kind of impersonal force or some feel-good factor. We come to encounter God himself be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, let's just unpack this verb here, be filled. Grammatically, it is the second person plural, present passive imperative, if you wanted to know. <laughs> but actually, I think it's worth unpacking that a little bit. The second person plural, that's you, plural. So it's not written to individuals. It's written to a body. It's written to everyone. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, that the being filled by God is not just for the leadership elite or for people who've been Christians for a certain amount of time or, of, um, or any other demarcation. Again, when Peter stood up at Pentecost, he remembered what God had promised through the prophet Joel. I will pour out my spirit on all people. There were some people in this church in Ephesus who were brand new Christians. In fact, they, they can only have been, the, even the longest serving Christian can only have been Christian for a generation or so, because it's only a generation after Jesus has died and, and returned to the, to the Father. So these are relatively young Christians. In fact, I would say that the most mature or, or longest serving Christian in Ephesus hadn't served as long as some of us here. It doesn't matter whether you're just beginning to get to know the Lord, or even you're not even sure whether you do know the Lord. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit that enables that. You plural, uh, second person plural, it's for everyone. It's present, and I say that just because in the Greek, the original word, it's quite difficult sometimes to distinguish whether it's aorist or present tense. Aorist talks about one event, like, um, you know, uh, New Zealand won the World Cup, and that was, that was an event that took place a couple of weeks ago. Well done, them. And it, it, that's it, and they've won it. The ref blew his final whistle, end of game, that's it. And no one can take that World Cup away from them for another four years. Definitive. Done. But by contrast, this is present, if you like, present continuous. So we might literally translate it, be being 
filled. Not, not filled once, 27th of February, 1983. Done that, thank you, tick. It's, it's go on being filled. If that was the first time in which you encountered God and you, you knew that you knew him through the infilling of his spirit, then the, the command from Paul is great. And so keep going, keep filling, keep being filled. Second person plural, present, passive, imperative. Let me take those two together. Passive just means um, it's something we receive. He's something, someone that we receive, not something that we initiate. Being filled is something that's done for us, in us, not something that we do. And the imperative, it's a command. It's not an invitation. It's not an option. It's not like this might be a good idea. Would you like to consider it? (laughs) It's an order. (laughs) Be being filled with the Spirit. There are 1,630 imperatives in the New Testament. 77 of them are in the passive. Most of those passive ones are imperatives related to the Holy Spirit. Just to unpack that. So lots of imperatives in this letter. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. That's our initiative. Paul is saying, this, you take the initiative. Live this way. Don't live that way. But this one is allow this to happen. In fact, if we have any part to play, it is simply to put ourselves in a position, a mindset, a heart attitude that says, I want you to fill me, Lord. Receive the Holy Spirit, we might translate this as. Be filled with the Spirit. So I guess the question is not so much how much of the Holy Spirit have I got, but how much of me has he got? Does he have the whole of my life? Let me illustrate it like this. Uh, Let's imagine this glove represents your life, my life. Uh, And here it is, uh, in and of itself, just lifeless. Because for our lives to make sense, to be in tune with the one who created us, then we need the, the sort of hand of the Spirit, if you like, to fill every aspect of our lives. So that... These fingers now come to represent, if you like, different aspects of our lives, our, our, our work. That the Spirit comes and fills our work. Or our relationships, be they at work or at home. Or our leisure and the way in which we use our time when we're not at work. Or our thoughts, our dreams, our fantasies, our money and possessions. To be filled with the Spirit is to allow the Spirit of God to come and fill every aspect of our lives. The context, the content. Thirdly, the characteristics of the command, the consequences of the command. And here again, it's quite interesting to study the the original um, language because I've said that the verb, be filled, is an imperative, a command, and then it's followed by four other verbs. But all those verbs are participles. They are speaking in verse 19, singing in verse 19, thanking in verse 20, and submitting in verse 21. It's a little unhelpful to have that editorial um, heading in there. I, I understand why they've put it there, the instructions for Christian households. But in the Greek... It's a bit like you've got a train, an engine, and four carriages. 
The engine driving this is the command to be filled with the Spirit, to receive God. And the, the, just the inevitable consequence of the engine being fueled by the Spirit of God is that the carriages of speaking to one another, of singing in your heart to the Lord, of thanking the Lord for all things, and of submitting to one another will inevitably follow. That's the mark of the Spirit. Listen, if you... Had, uh, if I'd stood up this morning, and um, in, by way of preparation for my talk this morning, I had taken six communion bottles of wine out of the grey safe there and finished them off one after another, and then stood up to lead the service, to do the notices, and then to preach this sermon, how do you think it would have gone? <laughs> yeah, better than this. <laughs> I walked into that one, didn't I? You'd know, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd have a little inkling, would you not? I mean, if you were just within a sort of 10-meter range of me, you'd probably begin to smell. Perhaps just, I, I, I would be maybe having trouble with my bodily functions. I, I wouldn't be able to stand up straight. I'd be slurring my words. In, in terms of my actions and my speech, in terms of my thoughts, would it not be obvious if I was filled with alcohol? The inevitable consequence of being filled and filled and filled and filled. Go on being filled with the Spirit of God is an intoxication with God that means I ju I'm just looking for opportunities to speak truth and blessing. I think, I, I, I'm not quite sure we were wrestling with this as a staff, what, what Paul means by speaking to one another psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Except that, you know, Paul, in a sense, has already done it. You see just verse 14. Um, it's sort of indented there. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And commentators think that was taken from a sort of a chorus or a song at the time. So Paul has taken a, a, a chorus or a song or a hymn, part of a hymn, and has, has put it into the teaching. He, this is what he's speaking to the Ephesians. He did that in the Philippians too. That, that uh, bit he says, if you want to know what your attitude should be like, then it should be like, and then he breaks into a song, but he, he sort of speaks it. Your attitude should be like that of Christ, who being in very nature God, and so on. You can look it up, Philippians 2. But again, commentators think that was an early song. But Paul has taken the truth and the reality and the beauty and the challenge of that song or hymn or spiritual song and put it into his speech. So maybe the idea is that as we worship here, part of what we're doing is singing to the Lord in our hearts. And, and giving that expression. But it's also taking in the truth of what we sing. Our God is a great big God. And he holds me in his hands. So in the coming week, and a member of your house group rings up and says, I'm really worried about the situation. I'm, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Well, maybe we find our own words to say, I'm praying that our God, who is a great big God, will hold you in his hands. And just encourage that friend, that member of the church family to remember that although my problems seem really big to me, God is even bigger than the biggest test or challenge or problem that we may be facing. Speaking to one another, singing to the Lord. Do you, can I ask, do you come here on a Sunday with your heart bursting to sing to the Lord? A song of gratitude and of praise and of wonder and of thanks. So that you, you're willing, Jamie, to get up here. Come on, Jamie, get up there. Just 
Tim and the band, come on, come on, let's sing. Not because it seemed like a good idea when Jamie gets up there, but because actually you've been longing for this moment from Thursday and Friday and Saturday. I go to bed Saturday night, yes, because I can gather with the Lord's people, full of the Spirit, they are as I am, my heart bursting with the desire to sing. Why are we laughing? I think it's, let's challenge ourselves. Do I come ready to sing? And, and when I meet together in a house group, even in a prayer triplet, maybe just a, you know, singing. I know my, I'm, my, I don't want to hear myself sing. Uh, I don't really want to inflict myself on you. That's why I love it says, sing in your heart. <laughs> Let's me off the hook. But maybe to put on a, a CD. If you've got a CD of hymns or songs, uh, and allow someone else to sing with you, and you in your heart can join in. Just to allow the life and the Spirit of God to fill us. Giving thanks to God the Father, submitting to one another, respecting one another. Finally, carrying out the command. Part of a course, and I wonder, it's really when rather than if we roll out this course again, because I'm conscious with the turnover of congregation here, there are many of us who perhaps haven't um, done the living free course. Actually, this would be quite, do you mind just... I mean, if you put it positively, who, who has? Who did the Living Free course here? Here we go. So, look, that's under half of us gathered here this, evening, uh, this morning. Thank you. So, yeah, I wonder whether we should do that again. And part of uh, that course, we looked at this wonderful toolkit to recognize when we've gone off track. To repent just means a change of heart, a change of mind, change of direction, change of worldview. To receive. God's forgiveness and his spirit, to rebuke the enemy who loves to throw us off track and to replace substandard living and substandard thinking with spirit-filled thinking and living. So let me ask you, do you, do you recognize any area of your life, maybe one of the fingers of the glove, where... Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's good. That's fine. That's good. Yeah, the spirit. Oh. Is, is, there, is there, just as you look at the glove of your life, is there an area where actually you're just holding God at bay, not allowing him to fill you? I think it's to, it's to recognize that in the honesty of your heart. Maybe if you can, I just think something of confession is so powerful, it breaks something when we confess with brothers and sisters, there's one other person in a small group. We ring them up. Can I have a coffee? I'd, I'd love you to help me with this. Can I share this with you? Just, we're praying this morning, uh, just before the service, as we always do, actually, and uh, one of the people praying just had a, a picture of a, a kind of glass, um, it was like a sort of glass door or a glass shield, and it, it, it was just preventing the person from, from fully sort of engaging with what was the other side of the, of the glass. And I wonder whether that is the Lord, through a picture, wanting to communicate to someone here that uh, he's asking us, in a sense, to open the door in order that we can receive all that God has for us on the other side of that, of that sort of glass screen. You can kind of see it, but you're not fully engaged with it. Do you recognize that? I, I don't know if that refers to anyone. It may not be referring to anyone here this morning. But if it is, do you, even now, as I speak those words out, is the Spirit kind of recognizing that for you, helping you to recognize it?
Are you willing to repent? That is just to, to turn. It's a military term. It means about turn. It means stop walking in the way you've been going. Stop. Turn and walk in a new direction. It is to receive the love and the forgiveness that Christ brings. It is to receive his Holy Spirit. To renounce the activity of the enemy who would love to just throw us off course. I, just this morning, um, I, I came in to do the earlier service at 8 o'clock and I thought the heating had been set and I, I went and checked and it had been set but it hasn't come on. So we sort of shivered our way through the 8 o'clock and I thought, oh no, the 10.30, it's going to be even colder. And then I went to the back of the church and there's a bit of a foul smell in the kitchen and something had been spilt. And so in trying to sort of sort out that, I ran the water in the sink uh, to actually to, to wash a mop that was all dirty in the sink. And I thought, I said, oh, don't worry, because I'll wash it all away again when they come to do the coffee. And then I discovered the sink's blocked, and it didn't drain away. Uh, so I, I just went, I went back in to, thank goodness for a godly wife. I went back and I said, oh, this morning's just going to be so awful. It's so cold, and, the, and this and that. And Jo, she just, she's fantastic. She said, well, we must pray. And they're there and then in the kitchen, I know. Who really runs this church? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, secret's been out for a long time, isn't it? Really? We prayed. Lord, we're not going to, we're not, it's renouncing the enemy. We're not going to have blessing robbed from us by just things that are, in the, in the scheme of things, inconsequential. We will, we will not have your truth undermined or distracted or sidetracked or whatever it is. We, we, we rebuke the enemy. And we choose. So it's great to pray. It's great to worship this morning. Actually, oh, those action songs, they were good. Kept us all warm. Brilliant. And here we are, sitting under God's word. And disciplining ourselves to put ourselves in the place where we receive from him afresh. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Paul says, the key to Christian living, be filled with the Spirit. Let's stand together. I simply want to give an opportunity for us to be obedient to this command this morning. I'm going to invite, uh, actually if Jamie and the band want to just come up and make themselves ready, we'll we'll worship a bit more. Um, As part of our worship, we'll take up an offering, and that will take place during this song. But just before all of that, just as the band gather, but before we play... Let's just be still before the Lord. And I'd love to encourage you. You know, when you want to sail a boat and you want to catch the wind, you have to hoist a sail. And I'd love you, as it were, to hoist a sail. Some people find it helpful to put out their hands. Um, It's like a sort of, it's like a a visual, a a physical way of saying, Lord, I want to receive. You're promising to pour out your spirit. I'm longing to receive. I would love you to come and fill my head and to fill my heart and to fill my emotions and to fill my will, to fill my day at the office or my day at home, to shape the way in which I live in this community, to shape every single relationship. Come, Holy Spirit. I just encourage you to be relaxed but alert. Relax because uh, this is a God of love. He's not going to do anything that you don't want him to do. 
unless you say, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. But just for those of us who know that there are maybe fingers in that glove, that you're longing for God to come and heal and restore, there are things that you know you want him to take away in order that his spirit might come and replace, rebuild, refashion, release. of God. So I just encourage you as we seek to live out the being filled. We may have been Christians for years and years. We may not be sure whether we are Christians. There's no better way to become a Christian than being filled with the Spirit. If that is you, it's just to say that I'm a, I'm a perfectly nice but limp glove. My life is not going to have the impact the power. My life is not going to connect with God unless I'm filled with his life and his spirit. It's simply to say, oh God, please come and fill my life with your spirit. He loves that prayer. You can ask him now. You can receive him now. let him come. Some of us want to express our delight, our joy, want to put into practice singing to the Lord. Others, you may just want to stand in the presence of others singing, in the presence of worship. Wait on Him to receive from Him. That's fine. We'll take up our offering as we sing.
been uh, just as we stand here and uh, in just a few minutes I'm going to sort of close the formal part of our service coffee and refreshment at the back an opportunity for prayer at the front but I just I've been as it was shared earlier on that picture of the glass uh, door and I've been kind of wrestling with the Lord you know is that is that for today is that for us what does that mean and just as we were singing there better is one day in your courts just one day Lord in your courts and thousands elsewhere Definitive sense that you know that the privilege and the gift of worshiping God, allowing for the overspill of our hearts in in song as well as in the actions of our lives, but in this particular context, in some worship expression, and it, it, I just the sense that the Lord was wanting uh, maybe a few of us to, if not politely very English fashion to open the glass door actually just to smash through it but we, you know, we will not be held by just spectating what we can see on the other side of the glass we're actually going to go through that glass and actually participate I remember the first time I raised a hand in worship I felt really convicted because uh, I go to a football match and when a team to score a goal, I've, I've raised my hands instinctively. I don't have to be instructed. There isn't anything in the program that says, when they score, raise your It's just the whole stand, does it? I thought, if I can do that for a whole load of idiots playing football, why can't I do that to the one true living God? You won't believe how heavy my hand felt the first time I tried. I thought, I looked such a prat. Everyone will be looking at me. I think I, I, think I broke through some kind of glass thing. I participate. I went to the next level of enjoying God and participating with Him and being filled by Him. It may not be that God is calling you to raise a hand. Maybe just He's asking you to sing a little louder or a little more often. But maybe He's asking you to do something else. Love, just can we sing that one more time? There is one chord. And uh, if that's you, you know, we'd love to. We'd love as members of the church. We'd love to pray with you. There are other things we'd love if you'd like to make your way to the front. We'd love to pray with you, and then I'll I'll pray some. We'll uh, pray a prayer blessing.
Father, we want to thank you so much for this promise through Paul and his writing. That as we seek to receive you in obedience to your command, you will come and fill us. Father, we pray as you fill us afresh this morning that you would send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. So may the God of hope who fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the blessing of God Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us always.